like I have no food guilt whatsoever. Like I will happily, and it's taken a while to get there. Like I will go have that beer. I'll go have that pizza. The only time I question myself is if I end up eating like half or an entire pizza Then I'm like, okay, that was a poor choice. Like only because it's going to hurt. <laughs> Not because necessarily I've ruined my diet or like ruined my physique or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, but like, I don't, I don't have any issues. I don't put a morality on food anymore. And it's so liberating. You know, I can't even tell you as someone who came from, you know, spending so much time on nutrition and fitness, who I would say no to friends to going out, be like, I got to hit that set at the gym tomorrow. I'm trying to get these abs. So you know what? It's your birthday, but I'm sorry, I'm going to pass. What a terrible way to live. You know what I mean? So how do we get to that stage? We're like, you don't even have to think about that. It's like, yeah, cool. It's your birthday. It's one meal. Doesn't matter. And you don't even have to think like that. It's one meal. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. And you go have a good time. And the rest of it doesn't matter because you've reached a balanced stage where like everything you do, you understand is sustainable. You have like a foundation that you can go back to that you don't think of. Welcome to Food on the Table, a podcast that brings you behind the scenes to meet the people who drive the food industry and keep our communities fed. From restaurant owners to food critics, food tech entrepreneurs to hunger relief nonprofits, these are the stories of those who are working hard to put more food on the table for all. Doug from Gift Meal here. That clip you just heard is from our longest and most in-depth episode yet. I sat down virtually with Ken Mao and the time just flew by because his story is like no other. Ken started his career in education, traveling the world and creating his own test prep company before working as a teacher on a private yacht. He learned to cook delicious healthy meals for himself and when he came to St. Louis for his MBA, his classmates at Wash U wanted in on his meal prepping. It was that good. And that is how he got the idea for what became Full, a health-focused meal prep company with pickup locations all over St. Louis. Ken is a really interesting guy. He's done a ton to lift up the community, from coaching kids to feeding healthcare workers to applying educational models to thinking and talking about difficult social issues. He came on the show to share his story, from the educational background that infuses everything he does to the creation of Full to how he's weathered the storm that has been 2020. This is a fun conversation and it spans a lot. We really cover a lot of ground and I'm glad you're with us today at Food on the Table. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ken, thanks so much for joining us today at Food on the Table. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. Excited. We got a ton to dig into. You've got a, a really unique backstory, which I think our, our listeners are really going to enjoy. You didn't start off thinking, I'm going to go into food. You started off actually in education. Is that right? Can you tell us a bit about that and kind of a, a world traveler story there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, I'll try to keep it really short. Uh, you can pepper me with questions throughout and interrupt me as needed. Um, so yeah, I started uh, in education, uh, specifically in the private um, standardized testing industry. So um, SATs, uh, I, 
started with that. And that was, I started that in high school because I didn't want to do like your typical, like internship and things like that. And that got really boring after I did that for like two summers and I wanted to make money. Um, because as someone who's Chinese, we don't get allowances. So, uh, if you want to go buy things, you have to have a job. Um, and it was very interesting that I went down that route because I was a big introvert in high school. Like you couldn't get the teachers couldn't get me to like raise my hand and like speak up and offer an opinion for everything. So on anything. And so it's funny that like I turned around and was like, Oh, Hey, I think I can stand in front of a classroom and teach like 24 people who are about my age. <laughs> um, so that, that was actually pretty cool that I, I even stepped in that direction. So I ended up working for Princeton review from the age of 17 to like 23. You started um, so teaching test prep when you were 17? Yeah, so I started in my senior year and then carried all the way through college. And that took me through to my first job out of college, which was for Princeton Review in Hong Kong. I was their second in charge tutor slash teacher and their academic counselor. So as you can imagine with like standardized testing, like I tried to like broaden my horizons a little bit too. So besides the SATs, I also started teaching the GMAT and the LSAT. Um, those two specifically because I was planning to take them. So I was like, oh, hey, what better way to learn how to take them than to learn how to teach it? Then I know literally all the tricks. I feel like that's kind of you're getting paid to study. I know. I feel like that bit me in a butt a little bit when I like applied for my MBA because they're like, we expect you to get an 800. (laughs) Whereas like, hey, it's still pretty hard. But um, yeah, so I did that. And then um, I didn't want to be in the in the US anymore. Um, and decided I wanted to like travel a little bit and go to the other side of the world. And so, uh, having worked for Princeton Review for so long, that was like, it made it very easy to like move to another country. And just, I actually had applied to, um, a position in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia to Taipei, Taiwan, Bangkok, Thailand, and then Hong Kong, Hong Kong ended up, uh, paying the best. Um, because you don't really get paid all that much when you first start out with those things. Um, but it was also a city where my dad, uh, was born. So it was a, it was a a good starting point, I guess. And so, so I did that there for, for a while. Um, but then quickly realized that I don't like working for other people. Um, even in the capacity as like a tutor, you know, as a standardized test instructor. And then I also realized like I could do it on my own. So, um, I ended up leaving after about a year and a half. Um, it's going to sound bad. Uh, it wasn't bad. It was their fault really. But I ended up taking like 50 students with me. (laughs) It's a big book of business. uh, It was a big book of business. Um, and then did that for a while. Um, uh, for me doing that, um, it was really satisfying to kind of, parlay my experience from the US and having gone through the whole high school college and all that process itself and then lend that to basically like my Asian counterparts so to speak who didn't really understand what they were getting themselves into so like a lot of people are attracted to come to the US and to study and things like that but coming here is like it's a big culture shock And it's not necessarily just culture shock because you can always find like pockets of people to hang out with. So it's not really that big of an issue I find anymore. Um, The living and stuff like that is always a little bit different, but like the 
academic shock is crazy. Like it's very different systems of academics and education and how you think and stuff like that. So people always like make fun of Americans, right? For like, we're dumb. Like we're on the low end of the totem pole from education standpoint. I will say this in a defense of America is that we are very good at analytical, like, like critical thinking. Like if I give you something, like you can process it, work through it yourself, try to figure out what the answer is, like creatively thinking, right? That doesn't exist in like Asia. Like it's a lot of like memorization and regurgitation. And so with a lot of my students, even with like test prep, for me, that was like my niche and like how I differed myself from everybody was like, no, I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm going to prod you and kind of steer you uh, until you can figure it out on your own. Because if I just give you the answer, you're not going to crack those scores that you want, given that like English is not your first language and things like that. So, um, so yeah, that was, that's kind of why I did that and how that has now translated to what I do now with full. It's like, there is like, there is like a direct line from there because a big part of our platform or what I want to do with this company is just to be a platform for educating people and all the things that we talk about, you know, in the same way of like, Hey, don't just look at the top line and trends. And when it comes to like food and nutrition and like health and fitness, like look at like all the underlying things, like reason it out yourself, have some critical thinking to it rather than just looking at this Instagram model or this Instagram post kind of thing. So it's almost like the same thing. It's just now it happens to be with health and food and nutrition. So I hear that. It's cool to, to hear that you're bringing kind of a critical thinking approach into it. I was recently in a thrift store looking at the book mm -hmm. section and I saw an old book. I don't know if you remember it. It was from like probably like a decade plus ago called eat this, not that. And I remember it was like really popular, mm -hmm. but it was just a book of like, don't eat this hamburger from Wendy's eat this hamburger from Hardee's. <laughs> I was just thinking like, this is such a bad way to approach things. I wonder how many <laughs> books they sold. I mean, it's crazy. I mean that the industry for, for health, fitness, nutrition and all that stuff is, is so big. There's just so much information out there, you know, and it, especially in this day and age, the dissemination of that information is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know? So people are just, it's like, you know, what they say, it's like a fire hose of information. It's like, okay, well, what are you supposed to figure out? You know, uh, how are you supposed to piece all of that together? It's not really people's faults that like they either don't get it or like they give up because there's just too much. And so my goal with full was kind of, you know, besides the food prep and all that stuff is kind of like streamline that as much as possible because we are very kind of like we're kind of like open with our philosophy but we're also very focused in terms of what we want people to like be able to kind of piece out and take away for themselves so 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 what was the timeline like for for starting full because i know you went to to watch you for an mba so at some point you stopped with the the kind of private test prep stuff and decided like i want to why, why did you go get an mba in the first place uh, yeah, so originally the idea was I had been doing test prep for an academic counseling and all that stuff for so long. So I was in Hong Kong for seven years. I did one year, a year and a half in Taipei. So I was actually moved there to study Mandarin, but continued tutoring. In the middle, I did like two years of finance, just because you're in a big glitzy city and somehow you get attracted to all that stuff. And I realized very quickly that it again, I don't like working for people. Plus I don't like that lifestyle. Plus I don't like, you know, 
finance is boring to me. So I got out of that, went to Taiwan. And then part of that world travel was I got this crazy job offer or opportunity where I interviewed to be a private tutor for two kids. Uh, so a family of four, the two kids, ages seven to nine, while they travel the world on their parents' yacht. Um, wow. So not doing test prep, I take it. Not doing test prep. It was completely out of my comfort zone in terms of what I was teaching them because it was like I had to come up with a full homeschool curriculum. So for the COVID-19 parents who are listening to this, like I understand your pain, but I did get paid for it and they aren't my kids at the end of the day. So like I could kind of like at the end of the day, just kind of leave. It was actually a pretty nice gig, um, like school from seven to two. And then I was kind of free to like do whatever I wanted to based on where we were, whether we were still in the water or managed to dock at a bunch of places like I had the, the freedom to do all that. But the reason why I bring that up is because I did test prep for a really long time. Um, and I wanted to parlay all of that experience into starting kind of, kind of like an education consulting company that um, where I would take maybe one or two students per year. But there are a lot of people in China that I saw who also wanted to get into the industry like that I was a part of. Um, but they didn't really have the experience or the knowledge from kind of like the, I don't want to say, like I said before, like the cultural side of things, but like helping the Chinese students like bridge the gap between here and the U.S. They're yeah. pretty good at like the test prep side and teaching the kids like the memorization and all that stuff. But they're not really good at like helping the kids develop like critical thinking or just independence. Um, so I wanted to try and parlay that into like where I'm teaching people. Okay. And I have my own you know, um, band of merry men under me who, or merry women under me who I'm like, hey, this is how you like, you know, essentially like educate that next person so that when they're in the US, they're ready to go and bring more value to the table than just, than just being a tutor. Like those are a dime a dozen, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and there seemed to be a big calling for that. Like I wrote my own, um, I wrote my own SAT book, like with questions and all that stuff. Um, and so like, that was the goal for the MBA, but during that whole boat trip, that was when I really got introduced to kind of like world more, more, I wouldn't say introduced, but like I became more interested in like food and culture. So like, I'd always had a pretty good palate and enjoyed eating things, but like, it never like crossed my mind, like what I was doing. Like I wouldn't specifically like go look for stuff. Right. I didn't, I wasn't a foodie, even though like my mom was a great cook and like I ate really, really well growing up better than probably most people. Um, but I never actively went and looked for that kind of stuff. And then on the boat that kind of started to develop as I was traveling around the world, like going to all these different countries and cities. And like, I kept the food blog because I quickly found out like the easiest way to like communicate and like get into the social scene of where I was, even if it was just for like a day or two and like meet people was to like, go to super local restaurants and like try to talk to like the people in front and the chefs in the back. And like, then I would get invited to like family things and it was so cool. And so I realized like I had this big passion for food um, and that people back home while they were following me on the boat really enjoyed like what I was saying about the food. Cause I wouldn't just like talk about, Oh, I got this pasta. I was like, Oh, this is really interesting. Cause like, this is how it's made. And like, I was, it was more for myself to kind of keep it, you know, and then so that kind of like trickled its way to the front when I ended up in St. Louis because um, originally the MBA was so that I could develop 
some more skill sets like financially, um, like, you know, some finance skill sets and accounting skill sets, basically business skill sets so that I could open like operational up the center. Stuff. And, yeah, open up that center in China to do the education thing. Um, and then, and then this, and then this happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did you so, get into like the fitness scene and stuff when you were at WashU or before that, or has it always been something that's important to you, like nutrition and because it's yeah, how so, I grew up, right? You were cooking for yourself in a structured way. Yeah, so that's very interesting. So the reason why I'm always so comfortable with talking to people about so many different kinds of diets, not having gone and got a registered, I'm not a registered dietitian. I didn't get a degree and all that stuff. But I would dare to say that I know almost as much as most of them is because I've experienced all of that myself. So when I graduated college, I was like 50 pounds overweight. Uh, I, I think I started college. I was like 140 pounds, maybe like Where did you go to school? stopping what Claremont McKenna in LA. Oh, cool. Okay. Burritos, in, in and out too? Chipotle and free beer all the time. And I graduated like 195 pounds and on my frame, that was it's big. And then I got to Hong Kong and it was just so hot. You know, it's like, oh, I'm so hot all the time. But even then, like I was like going out partying still kind of like you're 22, you know, in a new city and yeah. things like that. And like, then I started like, okay, I need to like lose some weight. These clothes are enormous and I'm sweating all the time. And like, I started just like everybody else, like didn't know what I was doing. Like, okay, I'll go to the gym. I have some money. I'll get a trainer. You know, I'll start kind of like working out more, still not paying attention to what I'm eating at all. Just like, okay, if I crush myself in the gym enough, it won't really matter. I can have a few beers every single evening. And that slowly, <laughs> that slowly morphed though into kind of like, um, um, like a like a problem you know like with a lot of things like that like you start realizing oh well I do have to be careful with what I eat and instead of kind of going into that middle ground and gradually doing that it's like okay I have a type a personality so it's like okay we're gonna go zero to 100 on fitness and then we're gonna go zero to 100 on nutrition like I immediately went to like zero carbs bro science protein only what are vegetables who cares you know as long as I'm eating enough protein that's all that matters and then that like I started reading more stuff and then you try this you try that I did like the um I don't know I think it was like the Atkins diet at the time and then like the Mediterranean diet and then eventually I found CrossFit or like kind of like the beginnings of that and with CrossFit comes the whole paleo thing so I did that for quite a while um, and then I ended up doing keto for a little while. So I've like tested like literally everything. And what I realized, like I, literally everything that I did was like miserable because you're always thinking about it, you know, regardless of what diet you follow or what trend you follow, you're always like subconsciously or even consciously like thinking about it and worried about it. And like throughout the whole my whole health and fitness journey, like I realized I had this huge few problem with like food and food anxiety. You know, I was, I didn't yeah. have like problems with like bulimia or anorexia, but like those are like the extremes. But I think a lot of people don't, aren't aware that they might have a food issue that's close to those because you're always thinking about, oh, if I eat this, I have to go to the gym to work out. You know, that's almost as bad. I feel like, and I was definitely somebody who was, was like that. So I've like lived through all of that. Um, and because I've lived through all of that, that's kind of how I've come kind of full circle to, to where I, 
where I am today with kind of full and our nutritional philosophy and trying to figure out, okay, so what does like sustainable, healthy eating really look like? You know, everybody has their own goals. Everybody has kind of what they need to do or what they want to do in the short term, you know, but I think for most of us, if we are honest about it, we all have kind of like the same long-term goal, right? It's like something that we can do easily for the long-term you don't have to think too much about uh, and it'll allow you to worry less about what you're putting in your mouth, how often you're spending in the gym and more on the stuff that you want to do outside, you know, like whatever your passions and hobbies are, whether it's hiking, whether it's photography, whether it's music, whatever it is, you can spend that energy of food and fitness into whatever your passion is instead. That totally, that totally rings true to me looking back, like anytime I've gone really into like, oh, I'm going to like dial in my diet. I'm going to lose a lot of weight. I'm going to get super fit. Like you said, I was always very, very focused on what I was doing. I went to, I had a kind of opposite path as you, where I grew up in Southern California, came to the Midwest for college and mm-hmm. then immediately ballooned up, like gained like 30 pounds. <laughs> I'd never seen a patty melt before. Like, what is this? It's the delicious. Cheese the cheese, they're amazing. And I could get as many as I wanted every day. And I did. Uh, and so Good I decided, for you. thanks. It was, it was really <laughs> fun. And then I came home after 10 weeks and everybody's just like, whoa, you're huge. And I decided to go vegan, which I did. Oh, Because wow. I just cut out meat and cheese and everything in between and worked really well for weight loss, but I was obsessed with it. And like, I thought about it all the time, but that was kind of, how I kept going with it because it was a difficult thing to do unless you like were convinced that like this is good and important and I want to talk to everybody I meet about it and wasn't sustainable for more than a couple years it turned out for me but yeah it's uh it's very different from kind of like a a sort of first principle system so what Mm -hmm. is what is your philosophy at full how did you come to develop it in the first place yeah so full came about um, and I'll, I'll, I guess I'll start with how, how the company started. Um, yeah. Full came about because I was um, still following paleo when I first started my MBA. And part of the paleo and CrossFit thing is like you make your own meals. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know how much people know about paleo. It's basically like you eat stuff from the earth, but it's like such a loose term. You know what I mean? I like paleo because it forces you to kind of look at like the quality of the food that you're eating. So you're like you're paying attention to like, are you eating like a sweet potato versus a potato versus a rice? Like it forces you to kind of like look at those things, but it doesn't tell you how much to eat. It just kind of restricts what you're allowed to eat, which is not always the greatest thing, but it's the beginning parts of an education. Right. Yeah. Um, And because there's some restrictions, it was like, and I was a foodie at that point. I was like, well, I want to eat lasagna and I want to eat pizza and I want to eat pasta and I want to eat this and that. But paleo says I can't. Well, I better learn how to cook then and like make like paleo versions of that stuff. So like I started cooking and like meal prepping. And so, um, I mean, I refused to eat the food at Olin. I would bring my own box lunch every day. And generally it was like leftover from dinner. You know what I mean? Like I would always make an extra for dinner. You know, meal prepping is hard for one person. You know, you always make more than you need. So I was like, oh, perfect. I'll take, and then I'll just eat it for lunch the next day. And then I got better at it and started like preparing like three or four days in advance because of, you know, cooking every single day while you're trying to study and like also have fun is a pain in the ass as everybody knows. Um, And so I had an extra one 
at school, I think like about two weeks in. Um, and one of my classmates uh, asked if I could have one because uh, I brought two that day because we were like doing like after school like meetings and stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, sure. The nice thing about St. Louis is like everything's within like 10 minutes. So like if I really needed to go home and get food, like it's 10 minutes away, it's fine. I'd come right back. So I gave it to him. Um, he came back, no joke, five minutes later. I was like, here's a hundred bucks. I don't care what you're making for the rest of the week. I can't eat this school crap anymore. Your food is great. You are a healthy, fit dude. Just cook lunch for me. I was like, you said yes. I was like, well, no, my first, my first statement was you realize I don't know what I'm making tomorrow. He's like, I don't care. I was like, but you realize you have no choice. He's like, it's fine. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, yes. Um, and so that snow went from one person to five to like 15. And I like cut it off at like 20. I was like that, this is as much as I can handle. Plus also, I don't want to kill any of you. Um, but oh, that's that like really, making. yeah. And then, so like, I would spend like three, four hours after school every day, like making it because <sighs> the type of personality I am, I'm not just going to throw something together. if People are going to pay me for it. I also don't want to kill them. Also, I have an ego. So I was like, well, if I'm going to make it, I want it also to be like really good. You know what I mean? I don't think I have yeah. to ask this. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So the beginnings of the company were, were that were basically 20 people signed up for the week. They expect lunch, uh, every single day, Monday through Friday, they had no choice. They just ate whatever I gave them unless they had like a diet restriction, you know, and then I yeah. would like substitute something with that. And that's how I ran the company, uh, essentially. So that's how I started it. And then instead of getting an internship over the summer, I was like, ah, well, the best way to learn how to start a business, because I still had uh, visions of doing the education thing out in China. I was like, well, the best way to learn how to start a business is to just start one. And then whatever I learned from this like small food thing, let's see what I can take out of it and apply operationally and principally to the education part of things. Nice. And so for the whole summer, I expanded the operations. I was serving people down at a T-Rex, uh, that network, classmates still, and a few other random people in like my apartment complex. I ended up cooking for like 50 people and I had to buy like two fridges for the house so that I could like keep up. And still then nobody had a choice in their food. So like the beginnings of the company was called Mao's Chow. Catchy. <laughs> uh, Mao's Chow, yeah. Uh, went to the whole crazy logo design thing on Fiverr. Like there are a lot of things I did that I didn't need to do. And I would tell people don't spend your money and waste your time on it, especially like branding and design and stuff like that. It doesn't really matter. You got to figure Step out. Step one, get is. a business card. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't need any of that stuff. Make sure the business works first, figure out the operations and stuff. Um, so yeah, it was like people didn't have a choice. And like, I quickly realized on the back of that, that like, so one of the reasons why I didn't give people a choice was one, from a business perspective, it just makes it easier for me if people don't get to choose. And it's just, I can figure out what I need from a demand perspective every single week, like supply and demand is very easy for, for me from a supply chain, right? Like I don't have to yeah. worry. There's no like predictive algorithm I have to put in place to figure out what exactly I need for the next week is. And then there's no like cutoff times for ordering and stuff like that. I'll just keep it simple, you know? Um, and also made me realize that like people are again inundated with like so many food choices, but at the end of the day, like they'll look at a menu of 20 things for say like a restaurant and they'll literally pick the same three things like every single time, you know, everybody has their favorites. So, yeah. um, if you don't have a choice, like 
it doesn't matter. Then it also puts the onus on me to make sure, okay, well, if you're only, if you have no choice, it better be the best damn thing that you eat all day or pretty close to it. So when you come out with new recipes all the time, because it's going to be hard if you don't have a lot of experience in cooking in like huge batches too, because not every recipe will scale up, right? Yeah. So it was a lot of testing. I bought like a couple cookbooks, um, but a lot of it was really stuff that I like, I knew that I enjoyed eating. And so it was just parlaying it into kind of like, so when we first started, we were strictly paleo um, and parlaying it into that and trying to figure out like, okay, this type of food, this type of food. Um, I tried to be a little bit fancy sometimes with the recipes, which I really quickly realized people don't care, especially if it's coming in a box. Like (laughs) if you're working in a restaurant, fine. But if it's coming in a meal box, people aren't super adventurous. So like find the stuff that people are familiar with, are comfortable with, you can add maybe a few things here and there, but then just turn that into the best healthy version um, that you can. So yeah, there's a lot of recipe testing for a while. The menu that we're at now, I mean, I would say took four years to get to, maybe four and a half years to get to, and I'm still tweaking it a little bit. There are things here and there that I'm not super stoked on, even though people like it, but I'm like, yeah, you like it, but I know it can be better. You know, I'm very critical of myself in that aspect, but because I'm back to almost being a one man operation again because of COVID like, oh, sucks. But um, trying to like tweak things at the moment is not, not always also necessarily the best idea, <laughs> you know? So, but yeah, like, and so eventually like, I started being able to, I started letting people have choice. You know, um, I realized part of it was to give them convenience and not inundate them with choices. But part of it was also, I was getting too comfortable, you know, and I was like, just because people have a hard time with choice doesn't mean you shouldn't give it to them. So we do give people choices now, you know, it's still very limited. Um, you're not going to get a menu of like 25 different things to pick from every week. Also don't know how companies survive when they have that stuff. Um, I mean, the trick is like, they just basically have five base ingredients and call it something different. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, but, uh, yeah, we have five different menu items every single week. Um, and then it rotates every week for a month. So you have 20 different items to choose from, um, over that cycle. And I find for the most part that like, it could get a little bit repetitive, but like I challenge people sometimes a little bit because I don't like to take it laying down when people are like, Oh, can we get some new stuff? I'm like, yeah, but if I don't change the menu, it doesn't matter because you would just go right back to eating like turkey sandwiches and like salad every single day. So you either get five different choices every week and 20 different choices over the month, or you have two. (laughs) So you figure out what you want to do. Like, and if you want to go out and like, eat out right that's totally cool too you know i don't have uh you know i'm not under any disillusionment that people only eat my food first of all i feel like that would be financially irresponsible (laughs) like they're not expensive but like you you should learn how to cook at some point or also go support your local restaurants and stuff like that you know what i mean yeah Um, it doesn't always have to be my food um but yeah i don't know i kind of went on the oh no that's really cool and it's that so you you finished up your mba and you just decided i want to keep going with this exactly yeah 
Nice. And did you have to, to like move into new facilities or using like a commercial kitchen? Do you just buy five more refrigerators for your place? <laughs> how do you? Yeah, that's a good question. So during that time, I met a brand designer. Um, I knew I needed to change the name because being in the Midwest, calling something mouse chow, everybody assumed that all I made was Asian food. Yes. Um, Yeah. So people were like, oh, what kind of Chinese food do you have? I was like, I don't have Chinese food. Oh, okay. What kind of Japanese food do you have? I was like, the menu is right here. It says penne bolognese, pulled pork and mash. And I don't even remember what the other thing was. I was like, there's not a single Asian thing on this menu. But I forgive you. I get it. Poor choice in name. So that's how Full came about. Um, so my brand designer, David Rigel, um, he does a lot of great stuff uh, locally here in St. Louis. Uh, I'm very lucky to have found him because he's really good at what he does. Um, I told him I wanted something simple, kind of gave him the philosophy that I was trying to convey. And so we came up with the F-U-L period. Um, and it's a suffix in English language means, I mean, there's two different things you can pull from it. It means to complete, but it also means like to provide for and to nourish, which like encapsulates a lot of from like a base philosophy of like what we try to do as a food company, right? To like complete what you're missing and to provide and nourish kind of your lifestyle choices and things like that. Also from a marketing side, it is really great because as you have probably seen, like there's a lot of like, stuff that we can do with that right like yeah. the flavorful the mindful like it's so bad like i was already really bad when it came to puns but now it's like never ending <laughs> you know people say it and i'll be like ha ah, full they're like oh yeah <laughs> like it's never it's never ending it's never ending but um yeah so i ended up changing the name to that it was um and when i ended up changing the name it probably took another six months And there's always evolutions and things going on. And I'm always learning more about the company and about myself and kind of directions where we were going. But like, it took about six months to a year before I really understood like, oh, okay, that full and that philosophy, like, how do I really embrace it into what it is that we're doing? So I would say like, even though we're kind of like the beginning stages of growing bigger, um, from like a philosophy standpoint and a mission standpoint, like for me, at least right now, this is like what we're meant to do and like how we're meant to do it in terms of, in terms of like the mission of the company, you know? So it was really cool to have like kind of achieved this almost final stage of an evolution in terms of like our mindset. And then now it's like the business side of things. All right, well, how do we scale the business so we can like, um, disseminate kind of our philosophy and get more people on board so to speak. yeah and you've kind of grown you've done a lot of kind of event-based stuff and you've been going to I think places mm-hmm. right where like I, I look at the distribution points I don't know if this is how you kind of like scale your customer base but you've been working mm-hmm. with like gyms and like mm-hmm. CrossFit places right like can you, can you talk us like through that a little bit and yeah. So actually, strategy. Yeah. So I didn't. I didn't answer your question originally. I did it out of my house for two years. Uh, I was originally supposed to have a business partner who will remain unnamed and decided to drop me. Before I'll look him up and put him in the show notes page. Don't worry. Who <laughs> <laughs> decided to drop me three months before graduation and do it himself? He has since quit because um, he realized it's really, really difficult. But um, yeah, so I was like stuck without a kitchen. Um, and I was actually originally going to take the concept to Chicago, 
because um, just because there's commissaries or like um, shared commercial kitchen spaces up there, like there wasn't any here in St. Louis um, when I first started. It was crazy. Like there was maybe one in like Eureka and I was like, okay, well, I'm not going out there. Um, I'll just hide in my house for a little bit. Um, and then I got really lucky through my contacts in WashU and the network that I had built, uh, the head of, um, oh, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, what's the company they do? Anyways. Yeah. 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 So a nonprofit organization, the head of it, he introduced me to some, um, guys in St. Louis who had a social impact fund. Um, and between the two of them, they were trying to come up with suggestions on like places to go or people to ask for money and things like that. And eventually decided, Hey, you know what? Forget it. There's just such a roundabout way of doing it. We like you. We like your concept. We like that. And I ended up adopting like a social mission as well, which made perfect sense at the time. Like I adopted it per purely originally for like selfish reasons to be able to like win a contest. But then I was like, wait, this makes perfect sense. Like where well, I'm going to do this anyway. So like, yeah. why not kind of like go full board on it? And they ended up building me a kitchen. What? So my first initial kitchen, which was at, which was in South Jefferson, um, was built by um, uh, the Larson financial foundation. Um, and the funds were provided by, Oh my God, I'm going to kill myself. If I don't remember. <laughs> you can always edit it back uh, in. Oh, uh, Equifax. So oh. the Equifax Foundation. Yeah, so the Equifax Foundation, David Siffler, uh, he and the guys at Larson, um, basically, I mean, David Stifler of the Equifax Foundation, he footed most of the funds to build that kitchen, but they literally just built me a kitchen. And we're like, hey, we're going to build you a kitchen. What do you think about that? I was like, uh, yeah, okay. So I was there for two years. Um, they since... Um, the, the guys who own or were in that building since have bought it and uh, have renovated it, uh, are renovating it for a new restaurant uh, here okay. in St. Louis called The Lucky Accomplice. So it's uh, Logan Eli of Savage. Oh, uh, he's, nice he's, he's got a new concept. Yeah, he's a great guy, great dude. Um, and he's building that, he's building out the space himself, and, but he's going to utilize that kitchen space for it. Um, and so I've since moved to uh, Old North Provisions. So Good Life Growing, which is across the street from Crown Candy. I share the space with um, uh, Mike, uh, Mike of uh, Counterculture. So that's where we're at now. Um, yeah, but because of the way that this stuff works um, from, to answer your second question, you know, kind of like the distribution model, um, having the business school background, I knew very, very quickly that I did not want to do home delivery because you essentially turn your company into like a logistics company. You know, it's just like you're a warehouse and you send stuff out and you got to figure out truck routes, optimization, packaging, all that stuff. And I'm like, yo, that's like, first of all, you got to get like investors involved in that and generally like venture capital to like even raise the money to even have all that equipment to be able to do that stuff. And then like, you're just spending all your time, like, okay, how do I make sure this gets to somebody's house and that it's like properly packaged and that it's cold and like the quality retains, uh, that, that there's your retention of quality. Like even to this day, I still don't like getting parcels that are in refrigerated boxes. It like weirds me out. Like, I'm just like, I don't want it to sit on your door for like two hours, even though I know it's probably safe. I like 
don't want to go down the route. So I was like, how do I like get around that, so to speak? And I was like, okay, well, why don't I just set up places? Why don't I just have people pick up their food from somewhere that they frequent often anyway? And those places I can put in a fridge and then problem solved. You know, I mean, I can control kind of where those locations are, try to cluster them so that if I'm making deliveries, they're all within like 10 minutes of each other. So I'm not driving like a million miles everywhere in every direction. It's kind of turned into that anyway now. But, um, but yeah, that was like the idea of like, hey, if you and gyms are a natural place for it, right? Natural in terms of people who want the meal prep, people who kind of like low hanging fruit, but people who are also interested interested in kind of like the education component of what we talk about. Um, and so I started with CrossFit because I'm in that space. I'm a coach. It was like everybody in the CrossFit community kind of already knew me and it was easy to kind of like weasel my way into a conversation with the person and be like, Hey, I'm also a CrossFit coach. I do CrossFit and I meal prep. Like, wouldn't this be great for your customers to have um, as well? We've since like branched out to other places. Like I, we have uh, we have a fridge at my apartment complex here, Cortona Forest Park and Encore Forest Park for the residents. Um, we have a fridge over at Celsius Cryotherapy, which is kind of in line with like the health and fitness stuff. There's one in Tech Artista as well. So like we're slowly branching out to different places, but these are places that people go. You know, there's a community. Um, they go often. It's not convenient. It's not out of their way. Like you literally go grab your food and then go home, right? Because you're going to be there anyway. Yeah. And it just makes sense. And then you don't have to worry about, oh, I have this like two hour window. I have to stay at home to pick up my food or like somebody's going to steal the meals off my porch kind of thing. So that's how we kind of came up with that model. And also because I really view our pickup centers as not like simply like pickup centers and like a site of distribution, right? Like it's a play, it's a there, it's a partnership, right? So a lot of um, not to get too far into kind of like the social impact side of things, but I really believe for business like this to grow, um, you really need to rely and have and engage with the community, right? With the local community, a little give and take, like how yeah. can I give back to that place um, and provide them something of value uh, in the hopes that I, of course, am also getting something of value, you know? So um, that's also like a big reason why I ended up, it ended up evolving into that. Originally it was purely out of, okay, what's the easiest thing to do? And then as time went on, I realized the best way to utilize these spaces is like, okay, no, you have to treat them like a, like a partner in the business. So how can you grow their business? And when they see that you are, um, honest about helping them, then that always ends up being reciprocated. And if it doesn't, like, okay, that's fine too. Like, that's just business, you know what I mean? But the best can, partnerships can, as well. Yeah, no, uh, can you give us an example of, like, something you could do for one of these distribution sites? Because I've seen in the past you've done, like, talks and things like that. Is it like that or is it? Yeah, so, I mean, with a lot of the CrossFit gyms, I try not to step on their toes, but, like, they know that we're, like, an open resource for information for their members, you know? So the one that I happen to coach at, you know, like, anytime they do, like, challenges or like nutritional seminars or stuff like that I'm the first person you know that they come to and I, I'll put I have all this documentation documents and like templates and stuff like that that I like will freely give to them and like their members can take and stuff like that um, but yeah like I mean that's the easiest way like we'll do like free seminars we'll do like free, I always do free tastings and stuff like that 
um, just to get in front of a group of people and like explain to them, you know, what the value and what it is that we're doing. And if a gym or a place like doesn't have the staff on hand who wants to do the nutrition stuff, I always tell people like, well, you can just email me for free. It's okay. I should probably charge for it at some point, but like, I don't know, like I like talking to people. So I'm like, just email me. I don't care. Like I can answer your question in like two minutes kind of thing. Um, that, that actually is like, that tra that's translated from kind of like my education background. So like I had been doing standardized testing and everything for so long. Right. So like I always had like family friends who were like, Oh no, no, we don't want to bother you. Like, I'm like, no, just like literally ask me, I'll probably give you the answer in like three minutes. I've been doing this for like so long. It's so easy for me to do just because of all the repetitions, you know, it was crazy. Yeah. Like I could take an SAT test without like reading anything. I just look at the answer choices. And I'm like, all right, these three are clearly wrong. It's probably one of these two. Just go quickly look at like something and then circle. Like I did that once where I purely just like didn't even read anything and just guessed my way half halfway through it. But you've done so many questions. Just like, I know where they're going with this. Same thing with like college applications. Like I know where they're going with this, what we're doing for me to like put together a college list for a kid initially took a long time. Like I was like, okay, I got to look at all the school stuff. I'm like email the counselors there, email the students there, look at all the like forums and stuff like that. And then like after time, like after like eight years of doing that, like I was like, no, this is what you want to do. You're going to go to this school. Here's, here's three schools for you. Like it takes me like 10 minutes to put together a school list for somebody, even though I charge them like $300 an hour. <laughs> but like you're like that kind you're of thing. It's like expertise. Yeah. You're paying for the expertise and the experience that I built up over the years. Right. Same thing like right. with the chef, right? Like, you're not paying for their time in the kitchen necessarily, even though they spend ungodly hours in the kitchen, amount of hours in the kitchen, you're paying for their experience. Same thing for like a lawyer, so yeah. to speak, right? You're paying for the amount of time and the money they spent on themselves kind of thing. So same thing with here is like, I don't charge people for it. And I'm always like, don't be shy. Like just ask, you know, if you don't ask, I can't help you. I can't reach your mind. And I'm not going to like come up to you and tell you what to do, you know? that's not a good way of like getting people to like learn stuff. People hate like being approached just randomly and like, Hey, I'm going to tell you how to fix something. You know, don't be that guy at the gym. Like you see somebody doing something wrong. Like just let that person do whatever it is that they're doing. Unless it looks like they're about to break something, then maybe say something. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> what kind of questions do people ask you? Uh, generally it's like a lot of basic nutrition questions. So like, you know, um, are carbs bad for you? Like how much protein should I be eating? What do you think of this diet, Ken? Like, what do you think about macros? What do you think about keto? Um, and I answer a lot of those questions. I mean, I can answer them pretty simply here. You know, as I stated earlier, everybody has different short-term goals, right? And depending on what your short-term goals are, there are specific diets based on kind of your body type, and kind of your lifestyle that will fit with that, right? So there's nothing wrong inherently with keto. There's nothing wrong inherently with uh, counting your macros. There's nothing inherently wrong with paleo. There's nothing inherently wrong with like zone based on kind of like your specific goals. A lot of it ends up being like weight loss goals, right? A lot of yeah. that is like geared towards weight loss. That's like the sexy thing to do in like nutrition, but that's always like at the forefront of everybody's mind. So I was like, okay, weight loss is your goal find one that you understand the most at its base level and just follow that for like eight weeks. It's fine. You know what I mean? Um, you have to find 
a program that you believe in and that you can consistently do. Otherwise, it doesn't matter, right? Because you're just going to flip-flop back and forth. So pick one, pick whatever appeals the most to you and that you find the most interesting. If it's keto, it's keto. Go do that. You know, I mean, research about that, figure out how that works, do it for like six to eight weeks and then come back. So I always tell people like, yeah, that's my answer to that. How I really feel about those things, like, and go like three hours on that stuff like that, you know? So like I said before, paleo is great because it teaches you about quality of food, right? But it's a little bit restrictive and it doesn't tell you how much you're supposed to eat it. It's like, oh, paleo, eat red meat, vegetables, not a lot of carbs. You can't even eat sweet potatoes and some nuts and seeds. Oh, okay. Well, go nuts. Go crazy. Like eat as much of that as you want. Okay. Well, eating tons of meat is not good for you, right? Like eating anything in off balance is not good for you. You still have to moderate, right? Yeah. Uh, There's like the macro counting thing. So macros tells you exactly how much you're supposed to eat in the big macronutrients, right? The problem is with that, you're not looking at the quality of your food then. It's like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to eat 300 grams of carbs today. Okay, well, it doesn't say like what kind of carbs I'm going to eat. eat so a before I go to bed, yeah, I'm going to eat a handful of sugar or like I'm just going to stuff a donut before I go to bed. Okay, like, okay, let's be realistic. That's probably not the best way of doing it either, right? Um, so if you combine the two, then, you're, then you have a better presentation, right? It's like almost like Whole30, like, okay, now you're looking at quality food and you're looking at quantity food. Right. But then the problem and the same thing with like keto, it's like, okay, well, the problem with keto that I have is like it's very trendy. Um, but nobody really likes eating any of those foods in keto. Right. Do you really like eating a lot of fat? Like I'm glad that people now understand that kind of fat is not the enemy. Like fat doesn't make you fat, it's sugar that makes you fat. But like, is that enjoyable? I don't, I've never found the keto diet, like anything on keto to be enjoyable. It's like a lot of butter, oil, nuts, and seeds. I'm like, what else are you eating? (laughs) Like you can't eat a hamburger, you know, you can't even like eat a piece of fruit. Like that is definitely like as far on like the not sustainable lifestyle as anything. And it's also the most complicated one. Like for medical reasons, there's plenty of people who do it, right? And if you know that there's a medical reason, like go consult like a dietitian, like somebody who went through a nutritionist, somebody who went through school can like walk you through that because there are a lot of benefits for older people who have a lot of like inflammation and stuff like that and who can't handle necessarily like a heavy carb load or like close to diabetic. So like you want to moderate your blood sugar level. So like having a more high fat diet is better for you. But for like 90% of the population, like it's just a trend. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to cut out carbs and I'm going to cut out protein. Now I'm just going to eat a lot of fat and hopefully that will let me lose weight kind of thing. Um, so yeah, all those things, it just, it just tends to be trends. But like if there's one that speaks to you, like go for it. What I want for people is to take the quality of food, the quantity of food, your goals, and then also your lifestyle around those goals. So the people are missed. They have this piece, this piece, this piece, and they're missing the big circle that goes around it. Like, yeah, is your, does your lifestyle go around it or is your lifestyle like in this little corner? And then you have a problem because then none of these pieces piece together. You know what I mean? It's like, on the keto diet, do you love pizza? I do. Okay, so why give it up? You know what I mean? Is There has to be a way where like you can include that in your diet. You know, diet. I like hate saying the word diet. You know, I always like, it's in your, in your eating habits, like just the way that you enjoy food. Um, 
a big talk that I gave recently. And I think I, and I hope it resonated with people because I had, did have a few people come up to me and talk about it. it was like, I titled it like, what if you just had that one slice of pizza, you know? Yeah. Um, like I said before, food anxiety, I think is a big thing. Food. And it's because food morality is a big thing, right? Like what do you mean saying, by like, food morality? Like whether something is good for you or bad for you. You know, I think for some people, like you need to make that distinction, right? Because for some people, it's just like, they have a hard time grasping that like, hey, Coca-Cola, it's bad for you. Like you can have it, but just know that it's not great for you, right? Like there, I always say like, there's something you there's always something, there's always a better choice that you can make. But for some people, you need to have that kind of like black and white dichotomy of things. Like this is good, this is bad. But for a lot of people, it's just better for them to say, okay, no, this is not my best choice. Can I make a better one? And I always steer them in that option. But I find that like food morality is a big thing these days and plays a big part in like how people make choices, right? And how food anxiety stems. It's like, okay, that pizza is bad for me. No, let's get to a place where you know that pizza is not the best thing for you, but you're okay eating it knowing that the rest of what you eat is better for you and is fine or quote unquote, good for you you know i like to make it more like a sliding scale more of like a gray thing right so you know you have you've probably heard like the 80 20 rule right like it's i mean it's so arbitrary but like it's something that like makes sense to people right so i try to frame it give people like a frame of reference like 80 20 if 80 percent of what you eat or like 80 percent of the time you're eating well quote unquote well whatever that means and we'll come we can come to that later like whatever yeah. that means then the other 20 percent of the time do what you want right? And 20, that 20% 20 of the time is probably the way you live your life anyway, right? Like you're too busy, the other 80% to like, go nuts, you know, and eat whatever it is that you want. And that's kind of like how you achieve balance, you know, or, you know, if you're just trying to figure it out, maybe go 50-50, 60-40, 70-30, 80-20, eventually achieve a state of nirvana that's balanced, whatever that end percentage ends, ends up being, right? Giving people a frame of reference for that. Um, but yeah, that food morality thing, I gave a talk on that about how, you know, kale is the best thing for you. Quinoa is great for you. If you eat a carb, you're going to die tomorrow kind of thing. Like, I mean, that's a terrible way to live. And a lot of people subconsciously, like that's always running through your mind, right? Without even yeah. thinking, you probably think about it now. It's like, oh, what did I have for dinner last night? Should I go to the gym this morning to work it off? You know, I want to, and it's like I said before, it's through like personal experience that I've gotten to this stage. Like I, like I, w I don't want to say I have zero. It's pretty close to zero. Like I have no food guilt whatsoever. Like I will happily, and it's taken a while to get there. Like I will go have that beer. I'll go have that pizza. The only time I question myself is if I end up eating like half or an entire pizza then i'm like okay that was a poor choice like only because it's gonna hurt <laughs> not yeah. because necessarily i've ruined my diet or like ruined my physique or or whatever you know what i mean um but like i don't i don't have any issues i don't put a morality on food anymore and it's so liberating you know i can't even tell you as someone who came from you know spending so much time on nutrition and fitness who i would say no to friends to going out be like I got to hit that set at the gym tomorrow. I'm trying to get these abs. So you know what? It's your birthday, but I'm sorry. I'm going to pass. What a terrible way to live. You know yeah. what I mean? So how do we get to that stage? where like, you don't even have to think about that. It's like, yeah, cool. It's your birthday. It's one meal. Doesn't matter. You don't even have to think like that. It's one meal. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. 
and you go have a good time and the rest of it doesn't matter because you've reached a balanced stage where like everything you do, you understand is sustainable. You have like a foundation that you can go back to that you don't think of. So the reason, yeah, that's a huge long spiel. And so that's really kind of what full stands for. And like, our food philosophy and how like our meals are prepped and like how much and stuff you, you get like our meal boxes are designed for obviously portion control flavor introducing you to new cuisines but more so like there's a huge educational component so i always encourage our customers the first time is to just flip it out onto a plate and you'll see every single time it's the same like half your plate or like a third of your plate will be vegetables, a quarter of it to a third of it will be some kind of starch and a quarter of it will be protein. Like that's it. When people yeah. ask me, what was the way that you eat or how do I have the best nutrition? I'm like that. We call that the plate method has been around forever, like forever before all of these diets. And it's literally the simplest one of all of them. Half your plate is vegetables, a quarter of it is starch, a quarter of it is protein. If you eat like that, I don't know, three times uh three times a day for five times a week that's 15 out of like your 21 meals <laughs> you're doing awesome you know what i mean and it's not something you have to think about it's like super visual when you go out to eat at a restaurant same thing you don't have to eat everything that's given to you on a plate that's why they have doggy bags you know yeah. takeout containers like portion your own plate be that weird person at dinner who portions your salad and your meat and your french fries you know what i mean it gives you a baseline like you can eat the french fry you can eat the salad you can eat the meat just portion it to something where like you know that it's balanced and it's your baseline of eating and then anytime you deviate out of that whatever it's fine as long as you know that you have that to go back to and i think that's the problem that people have is they never have anything to go back to that's easy you know, like with the macro counting, you have to like physically weigh your food or like put it into my fitness pal. What a pain in the ass. I've done it it's so hard. So hard. It's another step, right? How do I, let's remove that step. Visual, same thing. You know, paleo, you're always looking at the quality of the food so much. Like, oh, they gave me white potatoes. I can't eat that. I can only eat sweet potatoes. Oh, wait, actually, I can't eat sweet potatoes. Like, like what? Like, don't worry about it, you know? Like, as long as you know, and obviously there's caveats to this, right? It's like, okay, well, don't eat like Pop-Tarts, frozen waffles, Eggos, cereal, like all the sugary stuff in the middle aisle and cookies and stuff like that, right? That's where you can kind of put like the good or bad. Like if your entire diet consists of packaged goods, okay, then we are going to have a different conversation. Uh, you know that you're doing something that's wrong, but what's the reason behind it? Like, is it money? Is it time? And that's kind of like what I try to explore with people when they ask these questions, like, okay, well, what is it? Like, what's, what's stopping you from like not eating that stuff, right? Like you have to, people have to take that step back and like, for the lack of a better way of saying it, like be introspective about it, you know, and be honest Difficult. with yourself. Yeah. It's, and it's difficult. Like it's taken me years obviously to get to there. It's like, but you have to ask yourself why, um, and I think with a lot of things that happen today, like, you know, that's always the fundamental question like, when it comes to fitness, like, why are you doing this? When it comes to nutrition, like, why are you doing this? When you have a job, like, why are you doing this? Like, it's tough for people to be honest with themselves. You know what I mean? Um, and I think in light of everything that's going on in these days, that's probably a conversation that people probably need to be having with themselves more often. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's um, we've been going on for a while now, but let, let's kind of shift to to where we're at now, right? Like yeah. you've you've grown this company, you've you've come to a, a pretty solid like brand and philosophy that, that seems pretty holistic and things like seem to be going pretty well. You mentioned earlier that you had to cut your team down a lot. Obviously, the COVID thing came in, in sort of March. Like, did you see it coming early? Like, how did you kind of prepare for it, and what has it done to to your business and because obviously like the fitness space as a whole is, is taking mm-hmm. it looks like a really bad hit and so yeah take us to like early this year and we can we go from yeah there. so i mean i think like everybody else we were rudely surprised by the severity of what was going to happen i mean i'll be honest and say that up until maybe like four days before the shelter in place was put in st louis like i was out eating with friends you know like I'd heard a lot about it from Asia and stuff like that but I think just with the way that the information from the top down from our government that was disseminated to us unfortunately and I wish that wasn't the case you know like I wish they had done a better job nobody wants them to do a poor job you know what I mean but the truth of the matter is like they did a poor job and like none of us really knew what was going on so like I was uh, I was for the lack of a better term unprepared you know, like I knew our business would take a little bit of a hit, but I was also expecting like, okay, well, people are going to be home, so they're going to order more, you know, but obviously with like the economic impacts of like, not everybody has a job, not everybody gets to work remotely, you know, people are afraid to go out. Um, you know, I was hoping that people would order more, but also like our footprint in St. Louis is not particularly big. We don't do a lot of like traditional marketing. And there's a reason for that. Um, Part of it is like money. Part of it is like it doesn't really fit necessarily with our model because of distribution sites. I don't want to disappoint people if like we do a lot of marketing and like there's nowhere for them to pick it up anyway. Uh, So there's a little bit of laziness involved with that uh, too. Totally honest about that. (laughs) Um, But I figured that like people at the places that we had distribution sites, they would start picking up some more stuff you know it's just like okay well you're not going to the grocery store anymore you're not going to restaurants like our food is not cheap but it's not expensive and like for the next however long it is even if it is for like a month two months like you know you're getting enough variety you'll you'll be able to you'll be fine you know what i mean and we were gonna obviously put out some new menu items to just make it interesting for people and stuff like that and but I didn't realize that like places would like literally close, you know, like yeah. we, I didn't expect for like all the businesses to shut down. And that's part of the, I mean, it bit us in the, in the ass because our distribution model of not delivering to homes worked against us in this case, because those places are closed. Right. And people don't go. And it's less that people, that those places are closed. It's that, it's not convenient for somebody to go there if they're not going to be able to partake in the service that that place offers, especially yes. with the gyms, you know? So, I mean, our partners are great. They were willing to stay open like on a Sunday or a Monday or a Saturday for one hour each of those days, have somebody be there. And it was generally the owner for me to drop off the food and for whoever wanted to be able to come by and grab it and take it home. Like I can't thank them enough for being, for being willing to do that. You know, but at the same time, it's like, it's not convenient for everybody because it's like, okay, well, why am I going to the gym? 
like, why am I going to drive out of my way? I don't really need the meals. Or, you know, there's some people who actually relied on our food who live far away, who happen to go to like that place or that gym or that co-working space, but it was on their, it was their workplace or on their way from home, you know, and then they live far away. So uh, that was a little bit of, a, of an unexpected change. Um, and the nice thing about it was that because we moved to that old North place, old North provisions, the good luck growing, they have like a retail front. So yeah. there's always somebody around. So our kitchen pickup has skyrocketed in that sense. Like we have a lot of, I would say like a fourth of our orders now, like people come in on Sunday, like we have a four hour window and like, even if they miss it, like I'll just show up at the kitchen on Monday or Tuesday for them to pick it up, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> the, the, the life of a business owner, right? Small business owner, but like, yeah, yeah. People come to the kitchen and pick it up. Um, but yeah, on the back of that, I knew like, okay, well, what are we going to do? You know, like, um, a big part of what we had always done from like a social impact side was, um, we, in order to not crush myself on figuring out how much I need to order every week for me to cook, I always order extra because there's always somebody who forgets something. But then a lot of those extra meals, like I, we took, we've always done it low key is to just give away, you know, like we try to be zero waste. So like any vegetables we didn't cook, if they're still in the, if they're, we would chop them up, put them in a bag and give them to like operation food search or like a food pantry, things like that. Um, a lot of the extra meals we ended up starting, um, for the past like year and a half, the team lift program. So I got introduced to them randomly. Um, I went and gave a talk, uh, loved everything that they were doing and how these people were basically doing it for free and taking time out of their super busy schedules to work with, um, for lack of better way of putting it, like low income, predominantly black, obese kids. You know, all these kids are candidates for bariatric surgery and the people who started it, one of whom is a pediatric surgeon was like, originally the goal was to get the kids to, um, be fit enough to go undergo surgery. But then he realized, well, what if I can get them so they don't have to do surgery? And like that whole story, I was like, this is like right up my alley. And so, uh, we basically, um, fed the kids for like a year and a half. Like I would drop off two meals per kid. I think it was like 16 kids in the program per week. So they would have at least two meals per week for like a year and a half. Um, and it, it made a huge difference. Cause like I was able to like, they trusted me as like, cause I would come in and help every once in a while with the fitness thing. Cause I'm, I, I do that anyway, but like it allowed me to gain their trust and talk to them about food, how to make better food choices. And then they could actually taste it. You know, like it's, it's one thing to come in and like tell people like, this is how you should eat. This is how you should think versus like doing that. Plus giving them something like, here's the proof is in the pudding. And uh, a lot of those kids, like they're, they're super grateful. And I was super grateful to kind of like be able to parlay that from, just like experience side and to be able to give back to St. Louis and to find something that like it fit perfectly with. And also like, I always tell people it's not totally like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I can't think of the word right now, but like philanthropic, they'll grow up. And yeah. It's, yeah, it's so not totally philanthropic. Yeah. Like it's also like a business side of thing. Cause then I have no waste, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, 
I still haven't figured out how to write it off as taxes. Like I could probably figure that out, but I don't care enough. Like it's, if anybody's listening, they can email you. Yeah. Let me know how to do that. Um, but yeah, the reason I bring that up. So team lift, we work with that program. Um, they've unfortunately because of COVID had to, had to, had to shut down temporarily just cause it's not safe, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, uh, social side of thing has that in itself, like we started doing that. Um, we, uh, so because they weren't doing that, I started having all these leftover meals too. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do with these. Like, I don't want to just give them away. I guess I'll just give them away because I've been doing it anyway. So because of COVID, we started giving away. I have a friend who, uh, who has been ordering for me forever. She's a uh, nurse at the MICU unit in uh, Bar- at Barnes Jewish. So I just like started dropping off like 20, 25 meals every week to them. And then I realized like, okay, like enough like goodwill and free will or whatever, goodwill or whatever, like, you have a business to run and like we lost 40% of our business because of oh. COVID like two, three weeks in. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to take advantage of people's generosity, but I know that people are looking for ways to give back to the community. Right. So how do we harness that kind of that energy in the community? Um, while I'm already dropping off the meals to hospital groups. And so I was like, Hey, I'll set up a donation page. If you people want to donate, like, it's not going to be like free, right? I'm not going to do it at cost because I need to be able to keep the kitchen open, keep my employees on staff. So if you donate 10 bucks, that's a meal, but that's like basically what we charge anyway. And so that'll allow me to keep my staff, you know, uh, on board and continue to pay them the hours that they deserve to be making these food. But then we're just giving these, you're essentially buying a meal for somebody at a hospital. So great model. Yeah. And then through that, like I got introduced to Meals for Meds, which was started by John Perkins of Juniper. And um, basically, I mean, they are, they, all they do is like the, the coordination side of things. We're still responsible for our own funds, but he would be like, Hey, look, uh, the VA hospital needs like 25 meals uh, on Tuesday. Uh, SLU needs 36 meals on Friday, that kind of thing. So we've been doing that uh, for the last like nine weeks now. Um, fundraising as always is, is difficult, you know, like it's really good for the first month and then it like slowly dies off, which makes sense. Cause like not everybody has pockets that are always full. Like I can't expect somebody to continue donating towards that effort. Um, but if people who are listening want to continue donating to that effort, like you just go to our website, eatful.co and it's click on the link and it says donation and you can donate anything you want. You know, like for me, that's the business side of things. Like I'm not going to stop you if you want to donate one cent, it doesn't matter. Like every single, every single bit helps, you know, 10 people, a hundred people donate 10 cents. It's a dollar, you know, that's fine. Like I'll make it, we'll figure out how to make it work. And we're still donating. Like I tried to like donate at least and be consistent. Cause that's one of those things. Like you have to be consistent with it if you're going to undertake that effort. So like I'm just taking a little cut out of my own paycheck and we do like 30 meals a week um, to, to different hospital groups and, and try to, and try to keep that up. Um, the last we, the last delivery we made actually was to um, a group of protesters uh, downtown um, as part of kind of like the black lives movement uh, 
movement that's going on. And now we're also in the month of June and July, we'll be taking 10% of all of our proceeds. So if people want to order like 10% of your money is going towards the, is going towards BLM. We're specifically donating to the, um, the change for uh, the eight can't wait the um, campaign zero program, which is all about kind of like where I think a lot of this stuff needs to start with kind of like police reform and like just instituting like basic laws and things like that, that like for some reason aren't in place. I mean, it's not complicated. I encourage people to kind of go look at that. It's pretty eye opening. I think with a lot of people, it's like now we're all reading all these things. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like there's a lot. And just like with nutrition, there's a lot of like noise. A lot of people shouting a lot of stuff, right? So you got to figure out and kind of piece together. But like, this is, I think, like the easiest way. The eight can't wait. There's like eight sets of like reforms or like rules or policies that should be in place for all the police systems around the world, right? Uh, that have been proven through like exhaustive data and research that like decrease police violence by like 72% just across the board. And it's literally like, eight simple things, right? Like teach police to de-escalate a situation before you resort to violence, like ban chokeholds, things like that. Like things that I don't feel necessarily need to be political is just like, well, yeah, you should learn to talk to a human being, you know? And that's not to say like cops don't have a difficult job. You know, I think that's the problem with what's going on right now is like, there's so much noise, everybody's shouting at each other. It's like, yes, there are some good people but they're also bad people. We need to acknowledge that there's kind of both sides, but that's how we're contributing during COVID-19 to both COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter. Like I don't have enough time to like research everything. And I can't, I honestly can't stand people who are like, do more, do more, do more. I'm like, we all have lives to live. Like I'm going to find one thing. I'm going to stick to that one thing. I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to hang out in this lane. And then COVID-19, we're going to hang out in this lane. Like, that's all I can, that's all I can do. That's all you should really ask of me anyway. And then if there's, there's people who like, if you don't want to, you know, if you don't have the time nor the inclination to like, kind of look into those things yourself, it's easy. Just buy some meals and we'll take care of it for you. <laughs> Love it. How would you, so you, I'm getting kind of a theme so far where, where you take what you've learned through the education business stuff and you apply mm -hmm. that to teaching people how to think and learn about nutrition how would you kind of take that same sort of juice and put it into to thinking through and and like thinking through like how can they get involved with like these social issues like what are like the little changes they can be making kind of I mean I think the easiest way is I mean I know social media is like a very powerful tool these days um and I made a post about it recently about how like I don't condemn people's silence in the matter. You know, if you choose not to speak up on social media, cause that's the easiest thing to do, don't do it, right? You can affect the most change in your circle around you, right? So for like the small things, the social impact things, talk to the people around you who might already know better, right? Like ask your friend who happens to be black or if you have an Asian friend, ask him. Or if you have another white friend who's champions like social impact, I guarantee you there's somebody within your social network 
that you could physically reach out to call even though it's COVID-19, like, yeah, I was going to don't physically, yeah, yeah. Don't physically, but like <laughs> you could call away, you or can holler at them. You could holler at them, but like you could DM them. You could have a private conversation with them. That's not so front facing on social media. And that requires you to Google things, right? There's gotta be somebody within your inner circle that you can talk to who knows more about this stuff and then start that change. You know, there, if one person talked to another person, like eventually that will, that chain, you know, will grow and stuff like that. Whereas if we're all kind of just yelling on social media, it's like, ugh, it's the same thing with like nutrition, right? You can't just yeah. continue to like yell stuff and like hope that people pick up on it. Like, even though I say like, when I talk, when we as a company, we talk about things, we don't yell. We're like very focused about it. Like we're just, we'll give you a suggestion or like, we'll give you the information. It's kind of like news. We do have our own kind of like view on it but like here's here's what we know about this thing here's the pros and cons if you want to call it like that i generally don't phrase it that way i'll just give you like a bowl of information and be like this is what we think but like kind of make the decision yourself you know this is how we feel about this and if you choose to feel a different way that's fine but here's all the information make the choice yourself you know and that's the it is with our food philosophy it's like if you don't want to eat this way that's fine too. You know, like I'm a businessman, like I'll just take your money too. That's fine. <laughs> but if I can like impact some change and like create that kind of like little seed of like plant that seed of like, Oh, okay. Maybe there's a better way of doing it. Even if it's not my way, you know, like yeah. there've been plenty of people who've done what we'd who, who, who eat our meals and who kind of like listen to our philosophy and then like go down a different route and still count their macros or still do keto and still try to fit those things. That's fine. Like at least I've gotten you to kind of like at least think and look at it critically rather than just, okay, I'm going to follow this because this person says that I should. I never want somebody to do that with our stuff too. Like I like people questioning and challenging. Uh, challenging what I have to say that doesn't mean I'm not going to have an answer like immediate for you because I will because I've been doing this long enough where I have an answer for everything <laughs> but yeah. yeah well cool um looking kind of over over all this stuff and all these changes you had to make mm-hmm. kind of how do you see us coming out of it like how do we get how are you going to get back to or where you're at before what do you see the future holding and also what kind of stuff have you you figured out or started doing differently that you're going to take forward into just the future of full yeah i mean i think the future is pretty is pretty uncertain um unfortunately uh before covid we were actually looking at moving into a bigger space obviously with room because we have room to grow uh, we were going to move to a new facility that's like 3000 square feet and start really like ramping up the business. Cause right where we are right now, we're kind of like confined by the hours we get cause we share the space with somebody. And also we have one walk-in where we ah. share it with like four people. So not ideal, you know, like we're, I'm already a pretty big stickler on like organization, obviously, and like food storage temperature and stuff like that. When you got four people using a single walk-in, like it's not ideal. So we wanted to move to a new facility. We'll see if that happens. Um, We were on the backs of piloting a a program with two big companies here in St. Louis to like feed their workers. That's been put on the back burner, obviously, because they're not going to be funding any of those things. Like they don't even have workers. Yeah. Uh, there so we'll see what happens um i mean we're, we're just going to keep chugging along and do what 
do what we do for the time being and and see what the landscape looks like i i honestly don't have any answers like i don't know what's gonna happen like i am usually pretty optimistic but i think given what's going on with like the protests and like the loosening of restrictions and things like that especially we, we might be okay here in st louis but i feel like we've maybe headed towards a second wave <laughs> you know which would be i don't i i would there is nothing i would like nothing better than to be wrong you know yeah. like throw it back in my face can you're wrong awesome <laughs> <laughs> all right i have business i can go back to like life as normal you know what i mean yeah. but i guess preparing for the worst like this is for us like as worse as bad as it's gonna get right it's enough where like um it's enough where I can hire somebody part-time, you know? So I was, as I'm sure you've talked to many people in the restaurant industry. So the reason why we had to, I had to downsize my team is it wasn't my choice to downsize. Um, I had one other person on board um, and was ready to hire somebody else to kind of help him as well. So I could kind of back out of the kitchen a little bit, but as many people in the restaurant industry, they work, they all work part-time jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and we hadn't quite gotten to the scale where I could have somebody full-time with the two big like company contracts, that was the goal. Cause we were going to go from like 500 meals a week to like 2000. And at that point, like, okay, this is a full-time job, or at least I'm going to pay you at a scale where it's basically a full-time job. You know what I mean? You work part-time hours, but you get full-time kind of pay just to make it worth your effort. Cause for me, that's important to like, obviously treat employees well and pay them what they deserve, especially in the restaurant industry where people are grossly underpaid. But the person I had working for me, because he was holding two part-time jobs, you know, I think like with a lot of other people, well, he only had just me, you know, at this point. And so unemployment only goes so far. He got offered a full-time job to manage a kitchen with like benefits. And I was like, dude, like, take it. Like, don't be sorry. Like I would do the same thing. You know what I mean? I'll find, I'll find somebody else to help. So we had to downsize that. So I'm hoping like eventually maybe I can get him back on board and stuff like that because we you know for this company to do well it really requires it to be a, a team effort like in order to scale it can't just always be me you know it's always still been me um i had help with like the marketing and the social media side and stuff like that but also because of covid they took other jobs or moved to another city to be closer to family and stuff like that so a lot of like the business side of thing is is fragmented and I think a lot of small businesses suffer like that you know but it also forces you to like really look hard at kind of like okay how siloed is your business or how siloed are you at the top and have you created you know even not even like manuals or operations but have you disseminated that information where like if some if you stepped away could somebody take that role that's always been the goal in the last year for us as a business and it's like goes back to the education company that I wanted to have right it's like how do I take all of this now and from like a business management side, be like, okay, here are all the tools. I'm just going to kind of like oversee, not even puppet fingers, but just kind of like oversee, you know, my, my leadership or my style as like a, in management has always been like, I want people on my team who are willing to learn and are willing to make mistakes. And then, you know, I, I expect you to fix those mistakes. I'm like, I'm not a pushover, but like, you know, um, I don't have all the answers, right? I don't expect you to have all the answers. You got to cultivate like that environment where people are willing to kind of like put in the effort, learn, and hopefully get better. So hopefully that that'll be the future. Like I'll find more people to kind of join the team and things like that. But then also like 
we'll see what happens. I really believe in the brand, you know, uh, it's hard to let go. Uh, yeah. And I think with a lot of small businesses, when it's something that's driven from passion, you know, like I, I, I always like to say like, this is the, this company is kind of like the perfect culmination of my whole life experience and everything that I'm passionate about. Like everything I've ever done has led me to what I'm doing today. So if it ends up being a flop, that would really suck. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's really hard to give up, but given like the reality is of the situation, it's like, okay, well, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen. Like I would love nothing better than to figure out a way for this to grow, but food is food and the restaurant industry is going to be difficult going forward. I think for everybody, I'm sure you've talked with all the restaurant people. It's like, they're some of the, I mean, for people who listen to this, I'm sure they know. And if they don't know, like people who are in the food and restaurant industry are some of the most agile, creative, like hardworking thinkers out there. Like you don't even know like how much effort goes into like running a small business is hard. Running a restaurant is harder. You know what I mean? So like, I can't even, I'm like my hats off to all those guys who are still like crushing it. You know, one of my, one of my mentors here in St. Louis, Kui of uh, Miley and Noodle House, like, I don't know how he does it, man. I would go crazy. Like it's like he's the man. When you have it's a team, like... he's the, he's the man. Like to have a team like that, to have a team who like looks up to you, and you know that you you he's doing his best to take care of them. You know, it's like it's so cool. Like that's one that's one of the things I love about St. Louis. Is that, and that's one of the reasons why I decided not to move was because partially like people are very brand loyal here. You're not really going to get that in very many places. That's like kind of like my growth strategy or like our franchise model strategy is to find places like St. Louis, small, but booming cities that are very brand loyal, who would rather shop local than buy like the big, like meal company that's out of like California or like Texas or Florida, that kind of thing. Right. And at the same time, like that's one of the biggest benefits of being here is like everybody within the community is generally very supportive of each other. Right. I've, I don't think I've ever been somewhere where restaurants are like, everybody in the restaurant industry, not everybody, but close to everybody is like buddy, buddy. You know what I mean? Like they'll eat at each other's restaurants. Like they'll tell you to go eat there, tell you to go eat there. They don't, they don't take it personally when you choose not to eat at their restaurant over somebody else's, you know, which when I first started this, I was like, wait, what? That makes no sense to me. I'm a business guy. Like, no, I want you to come to my business. That's how it works, but that's not how it works. You know what I mean? The more you fight against that, the more, the less attractive people are to coming to you, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I kind of answered that in a roundabout way, but I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Like we'll see what happens, but I'm also realistic and practical. So, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, like I said, I don't pretend to have all the answers. And with something like this, with so much uncertainty, um, it's okay to not have all the answers. You know, same thing as it is with nutrition you know, with like the fitness and stuff that we talked about, it's okay to not all the answers, but as long as you're actively seeking them, that's all you can ask for. Right. Amazing. Ken, thank you so much for, for coming on to share all this stuff. Um, people go to your website. It's eat full with only one L.co, right? So it's E-A-T-F-U-L.co. I'm going to leave it in the show notes page, but I want to say it again, eat full.co, E-A-T-F-U-L.co. And I hope people will go there and check it out because they're still able to sign up and, yep. and get your meals delivered. They're still able to make donations, right? Which will correct fund your business and get food out to where it's needed most. Yep. And 
where people are just working hard to to make things better for everybody. So anything else we can ask them to do? Uh, I mean, besides supporting me, right? Like I think a lot of people are like, go support small businesses kind of thing. But like, I think in the back of everything that's going on too, like I don't want to push people towards it necessarily, but like if people, if those businesses that you're supporting those small businesses, right. If they haven't said anything about kind of COVID or black lives matter. Right. Cause I think that's an issue that's in this country at this moment. Right. Yeah. You don't have to blast them on social media for it, but I would encourage you to like reach out to the owners and like talk to them. Right. And then really support those businesses that are genuinely doing something, you know, like I think people talk is cheap. You know, like people are saying all these things and like, we're doing this and that, like, and you don't have to support every single initiative in the book, right? Like, I think we've been talking about this, a big theme is like, there's a fire hose of information. There's a fire hose of things that you can support. Like, if you let yourself be overwhelmed, nothing's going to happen. So like, I encourage people, whether it's my business, whether it's a business that you've been following, whether it's a restaurant that you've been to so many times, like reach out to them, continue to support them. If it looks like they are open to, to doing the right things, quote unquote, or that if they're not like you whispering in their ear might push them in that direction during this time. I think, especially with everything that's going on, we all need to be positive beacons, you know, going forward. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this was a so really much, long conversation. I'm so yeah. glad that we had it. I, I really appreciate <laughs> awesome. it. And yeah. people can find you. I'll have all your, all your social linked in the, the show notes page and cool. it's been a pleasure. And also I'm so hungry after our conversation. <laughs> this is crazy. If you're hungry, like find a pickup location that works for you or come by the kitchen on Sunday and I'll have a bag of food for you. I love it. Yeah. And thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Wow, what a wonderful conversation. So much to think about. We're all really, really grateful to Ken Mao for joining us, and I hope you all will check out his website at eatful.co. As I said before, that's E-A-T-F-U-L dot C-O. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, hope you'll like it, hope you'll subscribe to it, and join us next time at Food on the Table. <laughs>